personal power, people positive, the community of connection. This is the Bob Jeswald Show. Cassie Hendricks, that's so amazing. You know, the stuff that she does here at Columbus Hospice is um, is amazing. I mean, you're talking about a million dollars plus in charitable care is needed in the year that you're here in this podcast in 2023. Is uh, it's not easy. I mean, how do you how do you just say you know we need this money because you know I told you a little story. My mom just had a type of palliative care in an intensive care unit in upstate New York, and it's a podcast that hopefully will be coming up soon. Where you know they they did it with dignity. There's all the same kind of references or or overtones, if you will, of what like hospice does, but like in a hospital setting when somebody's terminally ill. Um, but hospice doesn't mean it's terminally ill. We've we've talked about this before, you know, and um, with our with our guests before, and uh, you know, Kathy Pearson was here. She's a registered nurse with you all, and um, but you know, you know, to come up with that is so well worth it if anybody wanted to put their money towards something like that. But you, you need this in order to keep the programs going because it it truly is insurance covers hospice care sometimes in the home if it's if it's you know depending mm-hmm. upon each case that you guys look at it some people use hospice and a type of palliative care that that lasts you know somebody doesn't mean they're going to die i mean some people think that's it and it's not always the case but it, it there's dignity you know with it and um you know with your your you know i think this whole thing being directed not where she never had this Lyme disease if that's what, what we had but for you to get into this is obviously a passion and you're you're seeing the need to to help others. And it is important. It is really important work. Um, Columbus Hospice hasn't turned away an eligible charitable care patient since 1979. That's and we, incredible. And wow. we've really had the attitude of we're not going to start now, not on our watch. Um, COVID-19, the COVID-19 pandemic has made it incredibly difficult to continue the trend. Sure. Um, nursing salaries have increased dramatically, supply chain issues, um, inflation, Everything you can imagine has gone up in every sector. And so we're looking at we want to continue providing the quality care we've known for. We didn't shut down during the pandemic. We've never decreased our quality and care. Um, But we need the community to step up to the plate and say, okay, this organization that has supported us for 43 years, Mm -hmm. who has provided care nonstop to anyone, regardless of their ability to pay for 43 years, now needs our help. Um, and we need that help to cover charitable care for patients who are either uninsured or underinsured. Um, there are a lot of patients. Our average charitable care patient is in Russell County, Alabama, or Muskogee County, Georgia. We cover 16 counties total in both states. Okay. But the average care patient's local and um, that needs charitable care. They have found themselves in a position where they're working, they're in their 50s, and they're sick. And they can't afford um, they're not yet old enough for Medicare, and they can't afford to take care of hospice. all of the hospice coverage themselves. And sometimes we can apply for some help and assistance for them. Um, they could get disability, but it takes two years for that to kick in. And often the patient will pass away before their insurance deductible kicks in or before their government assistance kicks in, and we cover the cost of that care. Now, the wonderful thing about Columbus Hospice is, we can take care of a charitable care patient for just one hundred and sixty dollars a day. That's our, on. What, I mean, with the nurses, everything, everybody. That's really? bereavement. Wow. Um, that's our counselors, our chaplains, our physicians, nurses, all of the care. We can provide charitable care for one hundred and sixty dollars a day. So I don't know of any other organization in our area that does what we do. 
and it can make a dollar stretch farther than we make oh, a stretch. Absolutely, come on! <laughs> I know you can really stretch a dollar. That's, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't even think of that. I mean, some people are making that. You know, on a level like that would be an hourly, you know, salary and something in a high medical profession or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. So if you had a two hundred dollar bill right now, folks, and you were just to do this, it would give you just uh, over a day's worth of uh, care for somebody in hospice. Absolutely, adding dignity to um, someone who uh, you know when you when you do come into hospice. I guess the, the it starts the ball rolling right there where you don't have the traditional um, skilled nursing care in a sense. Like when I worked skilled nursing at a hospital setting, it was it was actually a county hospital in upstate New York and Buffalo years ago. I was a nurse's aide as far as it went. Did it for <laughs> 10, and it wasn't so much that I was bothered by all the bodily fluids and this, that, and the other. I was I was more saddened by the way these people transition not the right way. And never understanding that until I met people in hospice. Till my grandfather had used it, it was oh, it was great. I mean, he, he as soon as he went in, it's almost like he was at peace, you know. And and in the way that they they treated everybody was was wonderful. So that type of care uh, is remarkable. David Steele is another one, a personal friend in our community here, a big guy. He was uh, the CEO of the YMCA for many years, and and uh, you know, seeing him in there was was uh, he was he was even cutting up with us. He was having fun, you know. They. You're able to you know, administer the right, you know, whatever they were using at the time to calm them or whatever. But he was uh, fully, fully aware and talking and having a good time, you know, a few days before he had passed. So it's, um, you know, it's a it's a really important thing. I think people got to understand that. Uh, no one is comfortable about dying. Nobody wants to hear that. But it's a reality. And when it does take place, why not have it with, with um, the utmost respect for the individual and the families, because you mentioned that as well. So besides the fact that the patient is being treated as we know, I mean, it's right away, you think patient's number one. You did say there's other bereavement issues after there's post things after one's death. And then there's leading up to it. There's family support. There's there, even for veterans, there's different programs and whatnot. What, how many different things do you think that people got to understand? You know, this, this $160 a day does, what does it do? I mean, well, what sets Columbus Hospice apart from the other hospices in the area is that being a nonprofit, we're able to provide volunteer services that other hospices don't have. Um, 5% of our workload is carried out by volunteers. And, um, and part of having those volunteer programs is having support for We do veteran pinning ceremonies. We have a We Honor Veterans Program. We have Camp Hope for Children, which is a grief camp for children every summer. We teach them how to walk through the grief process so that they don't fall into self-destructive behaviors and they understand their feelings and how to process them properly. Um, we have the uh, Honor Project, which is like a Make-A-Wish Foundation, sort of. So we grant last wishes to patients. We take them to a Braves game or to the beach, or um, sometimes we just grant them their favorite meal. Um, and then we have uh, just a myriad of services like that that they have access to that these families can take part in. One great thing about all of our um, counselors is that they have master's degrees or PhDs, and they're certified to do family intervention counseling. Oftentimes we'll have teenagers that have lost a grandparent that was raising them, um, and we can do suicide prevention or family intervention counseling for those teens. And so the services that we offer go far beyond just having 24-7 on-call physicians, nurses, support staff, and chaplains. It really goes into mental health care. It goes into making sure that our volunteers are caring for their pets. Our Pet Peace of Mind program is one of our greatest programs where our volunteers will go in and make sure that the um, person who is ill has 
doesn't have to worry about their pet getting taken to the groomer or going to make their vet visits or just going out for walks. Um, it's the dignity of this yes, whole thing. I'm yes. trying to tell people. I mean, when you when you think about it, I mean, there's there's so many elements that help support someone in a family because everyone's impacted. You know, when when you know whether it's grandma, grandpa, dad, or if it's something that somebody was terminally ill, and we're finding the time to let the hospice kind of come in. Um, my father-in-law, my late father-in-law, uh, in 2019, hospice came to our house, and he wanted to die at home. That's that was his wish, and and he did, and and they came, and and uh, right to the right to the end, it was perfect, and it was on his terms. And uh, sometimes it's not on somebody's terms per se, but but surrounding that and the support for the families you just mentioned is amazing. When you said, I love the fact about the Heroes program. I did hospice for heroes for. For, for the for veterans, we did it for a short time. We tried doing that with um, uh, Mr. Ray. He was a retired uh, Army uh, veteran, and he uh, and his sons, and, and we did some stuff with Harley Davis, and we, we kind of collaborated with them for years. We probably did it for about seven years before, he, you know, Tom had passed, and um, and Susie, his wife, was involved. And, and uh, you know, we had a good time. We had silent auctions and stuff. Terry Roberts that you work with was there, and um, Donna would come, your, your CEO, and and we would just try to do whatever we can to get people to understand, look at where this money's going, and to know that last dying wish is like, it's 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 great. It's like a make-a-wish for patients. So people think it's got to be like the worst-case scenario. This is leading up to it. I even heard one before, Cassie, that somebody wanted to go visit their wife's grave site. And you would, you, who would ever think of that? But as simple as that meant so much to that person before they passed away. Isn't that something? Yeah, and one of the best programs that we offer is we can make sure that a patient has access to transportation. A lot of these patients have lost their mobility, um, and they need special transport with special ambulances, and we love to be able to provide them with that option, especially even just transport to a doctor's visit is such a big deal for some patients. And um, that takes the burden off their families when we can come in and make sure that they're making all of their appointments and getting them around so that they're not quite as homebound. Our goal is to keep a patient as happy and independent and comfortable as possible at home. Um, We do have our 25-bed inpatient facility, you know, Mm -hmm. on Moon Road, and that's called Hospice House. And Hospice House is amazing because we can bring a patient in and treat them for temporarily for symptom management. You know, maybe their pain's out of control and their family doesn't feel like they can give them enough medication or give them the right amount of medication. Sure. Anytime you deal with pain medication, family members get nervous, you know, yeah. as any caregiver would. Um, but we're able to bring them in, get their symptoms under control, send them back home to their to their independence so they can yes, continue right. living in comfort sure, and sure. in their homes where they want to be like your, yes. <laughs> your family member. Yeah. Um, I think that really sets us apart. And I think another thing is that um, we are the only facility in the area that's nonprofit. So we have – we're constantly having people that are uninsured referred to us. Um, And then we also are the only one that can take care of infants and children who are terminally ill. See, you don't even consider, I wasn't going to go there. You know, you're not even thinking of that. So you don't even think that. And that supports the family. I can't imagine Imagine you're a family with a a young Mm -hmm. one that's passing. And you have to drive over an hour away to find another nonprofit hospice to help you. Or, you know, that's that's a stress. That's you know what I think you hit the nail on the head there. That that to me, that resonates big time. I know Lewis did too. Lewis, I, I saw Lewis light up over <laughs> here. Our producer. I mean, you don't think you don't think of that, would you? I mean, really, there there's so much into that. So that yeah. million dollars being raised is so essential for those individuals because I think a lot of people, you know, people got to get paid to do the job, and I know it's a labor of love too because it's not like people are getting rich, you know, working for hospice, and you have volunteers that are with you as well too. But but for the 
the wonderful job the all the nurses do and uh it's it's remarkable in my opinion i just can't i just can't but i just can't get over it i mean i really can't get over it but what i think is uh important for many many of us is that when you see somebody if and there's people listening maybe that may have someone now that's why they were tuning into this podcast that a loved one feels like how do we get them there i mean because i don't think a lot of people know they're scared they go when they think hospice a couple things they think well that means it's over that unfortunately that's a stigma they think, well, that person's going to die. Then it's going to happen today. Not, not true. We, we can have m- many more days with a family member. More months. And months. Yeah, yeah. we had one patient that she was in and out of our service care for over two years. There you go. Before she finally passed, and that's the the issue is we want to provide them with comfort and happiness for as long as possible. Um, we just want to make sure that they they understand this. This is when you're investing in Columbus Hospice. You're investing in months care it's not you just days or weeks yeah i mean and that's the misnomer so it's 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 important that that um we kind of wrap our minds around that it's it's um it's a great opportunity when would somebody be let me put it this way who would be i mean this is a silly question maybe but who would be turned away we've never turned anyone away (laughs) going back to it but turned away who wouldn't qualify? Maybe that's the way I should say. Could there be a time that somebody could not qualify for hospice? What would be that? And I, I mean, duh, if the person's mm-hmm. not, you know, having issues. But I mean, and I'm just trying to make that point as you opened up with. You said that you'd never turn away. But what? What? When do we know? You the know, only, what's the, the extent of treatment, that, uh, or maybe two that you? Hey, you only get two days a week because you're not that bad. I mean, am I on the right page here? Yeah, I think the only time that a patient would not receive a plan of care is when um, a doctor has said, their doctor has said, you don't qualify for hospice care right now. You're not going to pass away in the next six months. Okay. We don't think you qualify. As long as that doctor believes this person only has six months or less to live, we can enter them into our program. Gotcha. So the plan of care, that's the word to say, plan of care. Yes, we have social workers and a whole team of admissions nurses and doctors and um, support staff that sit down and they make an individual plan of care for each patient. And then we figure out, okay, how can we best move them forward? Yeah. And And their families. Yeah. And they do. I mean, there's just, I think sometimes there's only a few times that I've experienced, of course, a child could be a lot different psychologically. I would think there'd be a lot of post, if it's something that was unexpected or a child is terminally ill all of a sudden or, or, if a child got in a bad accident and they didn't have time, you know, long time to survive, those kind of situations could possibly um, be needed. The services that you guys provide, even post death, during and whatever. But I'm thinking of the ones that I've been with. It's almost satisfying that when you know they die with dignity. I keep using that word because I've seen people with NG feeding tubes and people and have died badly. Badly, yes. yeah, and, and it's <laughs> terrible to say. I mean, is there any other way to describe that? You just mm-hmm. there's people who die badly. Tragically, but I'm I'm using in the space of somebody who knows they're going to be six months or less, but do not have an opportunity to eat or never took advantage of the opportunity of a hospice facility. And when you see someone go through it, you know, like granddad, like my father-in-law, you know, my mom, but in a, in a light, it was through a hospital palliative care. But I think a lot of that is adopted through that kind of, that same same under, uh, concept is like, Wow. I mean, you, you, it's like, I don't need any more. I didn't. For me, when I saw them go like that, it's like, God, I'm satisfied. They, they, it, they went peacefully. Um, their pain wasn't there. It was managed well. Um, 
the anxiety levels were diminished because they administered just the right medicine or just, you know, knew exactly how to keep their cognitive, uh, you know, um, ability to communicate to the last seconds before death. I mean, my mom was almost like, um, and even my, I'll, I'll use my stepdad or not, not, right now. He's, he's in a situation. He could be going on their way. He's old school, refuses it. He's so afraid of death. And, and yet my step and my, my father-in-law, my late father-in-law, knew right away he was cool with it. But I think a lot comes into faith. So, so I'm getting into something here. People are afraid for a couple of reasons. He's afraid, I think, my stepdad. He has his faith, but does he really? Because I think he's fearful of, like, that end coming. How would that work with that person out there? Because people, if I'm experiencing it in my life right now, somebody else is out there. Guarantee. Somebody else is like, hey, they don't even want to hear the word, hospice. Don't even tell them about it. Do you, do you lie about it? Do you say, hey, you know, oh, this, this is just a nurse coming over. Tell me about that. I mean, do you see that situation come up, or how do we get around that? Well, I think that the biggest thing is just approaching that person with care and understanding. Of, um, they get their referral from their doctor. Their doctor says, hey, you've got less than six months to live. And I guess at that point, you, that it point, is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. bell ringer, yeah, there you um, go. And, but then, you know, our care team goes in, and, and our chaplains go in and, and see where their faith is at and approach them. You know how they say God meets you where your faith is at. That's mm-hmm. what our chaplains do. Mm-hmm. You know, if, yeah. if you're agnostic, of course, we'd never force that on you. But sure. if you're a person of faith, we'll approach you that way. But it's a whole team approach of just okay. going in um, and finding out you know, what are they afraid of? How can we answer your questions and, and kind of intervene there to put you at ease about the care? Um, I think a lot of them think if I enter into hospice care, I'm going to be dead in two days. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, right. No, exactly. And yeah, so yeah. it's just really going through the whole process with them and educating them. Um, I think one of the biggest services our nurse, nurses do is educate the families, too. Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, this is how you care for wounds. This is how you change a diaper. This is how you bathe properly. This is how you administer medications properly. Um, to put when the families are at ease, generally the patient's more at ease as well. See, this is stuff that you, you have to consider. I mean, there's still treatment going on. It doesn't mean just because every case is different. Uh, my granddad didn't really, there really was nothing more to do with him. He was already uh, bile duct cancer, um, jaundice, um, couldn't eat anyway. We're giving him sponge with water and just letting him relax and in, in ministry, maybe a little bit of, you know, whatever, a little morphine or whatever we had at the time. In his case was, to me, I thought it was kind of textbook simple, but but knowing the environment, the nurses are there to monitor, to know that we weren't making him completely incapacitated, but at the same time reassuring him because he needed that a few times and and um, but there, there's there's every case is different. I can't imagine you guys see you, you probably see it all, right? Oh, I'm sure they do. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Is you you know is your position? In your position is that you're the uh, what would you be the fundraising director? What would be the best way to describe? I'm the you? director of donor relations. Donor relations. So I'm in fundraising, yeah. and my mission is to make sure that our staff of 155 people are able to go out and do what they do every single day. Um, we have. Over, I think it's over 66% of our staff are on the roads day and night, night and day across 16 counties. Um, we just want to make sure that we that those charitable care patients don't fall through the cracks. That's my mission. What a mission that is. God bless you. I mean, that's, that's, that's just incredible what you guys do. You see it when you guys do it. Is it, you know, I, you know to do it, you have to have a calling for this. I yeah, mean, oh, there's absolutely. no question. There's no question. Yeah, I heard a hospice lady once say this. Uh, she said, I can't. She said, by the time I get some of the patients in, 
they're too far gone, of course, you know, to do much, she said, but I can give them a warm bed and a soft pillow yeah, and yeah. hold their hand and pray with them or yeah. whatever they, you know, whatever makes them feel comfortable. And she said, um, sometimes just loving someone as they die is yeah. more than enough. Absolutely. Um, a lot of times we think we're in the life-saving business, and yeah. sometimes we're just in the saying goodbye business. <laughs> yeah, <I like> it. <laughs> But there doing it well, you know. Goodbye, girl. There you go. <laughs> hey, we're, we come in this world, and we're going to go out, and we're going to have right. a party both ways, coming in and yeah. going out. But, you know, and that's that, that's a good way of looking at it. I, I love that the... Um, I, I love that you you would take that approach, and, and you said it with a smile too. I like how you said that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, you know, death isn't the end of the world. Right. It you is. Go a, from aloha to yeah. mahalo. That's, That's right. a hospices in Hawaii. <laughs> in Hawaii, they say aloha and a ma- mahalo, and you you know. But the the that exit time is uh, uncomfortable for many, mm-hmm. but it's it's the, again that reality. So if anybody you know has to understand that, I mean, you would only hope. That most people say, wouldn't it be, it's, you know, if you passed tragically and you didn't have a second to even think about it, sometimes people say, well, that's the way I want to go. But it, most people are going to transition this way. You know, you're going to be possibly in a hospital or you're going to be at home or whatever. And just to have the people of hospice to, to, to know what they can do and come in and just take charge and, and you know, find those those loopholes or those little holes in the that, that maybe what someone may need. Hey, you may need this or let's call on this person. All that money, that million dollars that you're looking for 2020, I want to say 23 this year of this podcast is going to go a long way. But it's still 160 bucks a day, too. When you got how many patients are you dealing with, probably? And let's just say you go by annual. How many? Annually, we have approximately 145 charitable care patients a year. Wow. Okay. If you multiply that times the number of the family members that are impacted, you know, that's five times. You could take that number and multiply it times five. Oh, my gosh. Easily. Um, And we're. One of the the greatest um, benefits of this to the community is that let's just say you have a a husband and a wife and they're taking care of an elderly um, patient. Maybe they're not elderly enough to get Medicare yet, Mm -hmm. so they need a charitable care. But they're caring for a family member or a child, you know, that needs medical care. So we're we're helping them to be able to continue working. Think about that. Yes, you know, okay, yeah. Most families in that situation, at least one of those parents is going to have to quit work to be a caregiver. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe they could at least keep working part-time and keep their job and not lose, have their entire career derailed. thought of that. That's, that makes sense, yeah. And then they're going to cool. be able to, this family is going to be able to continue to contribute to the local economy. Yeah. So we're not just serving, you know, these 145 people. We're serving families, and we're serving the whole economy of our whole community. We're cutting down on indigent care costs for hospitals and ambulance transport services. Um, And um, economically, our organization's, in my opinion, doing more than any other organization like it in our area. How profound. I mean, that's the way to wrap this shindig up right now. That's that's the most pointed part of this whole thing, exactly what you just said. I, I think that's remarkable. That's a great way to you know, encapsulate everything what hospice is doing to, to help. I mean, on an economic level like that. And yeah. It makes sense because you're supporting families. You know, people, when you're in those stressed times, you say, I can't work anymore, I can't do this. But all those little uh, extra added support yeah. uh, venues and, and need that extra revenue to help to help yeah. drive that, and that makes a difference. And, and all hospices are suffering right now, as all nonprofit medical right. facilities are. Since COVID, it's been a struggle for everybody. Um and I've, I've heard rumors of some facilities that are sending out nurses every, you know, 14 to 21 days, which oh, 
Oh, that's yeah, not help. That help. That's, <laughs> that's not, help. not help at all. And no. they're stuck though. You know, it's really rough right now. Um, oh, we're that, determined yeah. not to to reach that point. And really what I want to do with the community in this podcast, and as I go out mm-hmm. throughout this year and educate the community about our Share needs, it all over the place. Yeah, is just, listen, this is your organization. Columbus Hospice is owned by the community, that, or this charitable care program. This is your program. This care program um, is going to live or die by your support. So do you want the your your neighbors to continue to get the care that they've been getting for 43 years. Um, and if you do, please step up to the plate and consider making a reoccurring monthly donation that we can count on each year or each month and and consider um, ways that we, you can help me spread the word. You know, follow us on Facebook, get involved in our six fundraisers that are coming up this year. Um, I'm going to be sending out newsletters this year that will keep you, keep you up to date on everything that's going on. Um, we have naming opportunities. We have a new brick memorial that's going to go out in front of our facility, and we're going to. It's a good way of doing it. Those are great yeah. ways to you know to honor you know memorialize somebody or just in, so just make sharing a that stuff on mm-hmm. social media with your friends and um, helping us just stay engaged in the community. That'll be the. The, the best way to go forward. Well, you do a good job. I'm going to tell you right now because I've so been involved. Much. I had the honor and privilege to to be part of uh, your 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 business, and even those nurses who travel, I do weather, so I make sure they get the you know weather radios and make sure they know how to use them to, to be safe on the roads when they're treating folks too, because it, it doesn't matter they're, they're out there rain or shine. And yeah. remember that the next time when you hear the word hospice and this one Columbus Hospice too. Thank you so much, Casey so Hendricks from Columbus Hospice and uh, and serving 16 counties and somebody serving you too. So remember that the next time, guys, when you go out there. And you can check this podcast with the lovely Casey and uh, and her team and everyone else that's out there to see what you can do to support. We have a link at the bottom here so you can make a donation if you find it in your heart to do just that. I think it's a good good way to give back. Uh, we look at Apple, iHeart, Spotify. You can get this Audible a version of it too with Audible. You can also get it through YouTube, the video portion, WRBL.com. Video portion with Cassie and um, and uh, you know Casey and I and her staff would love to see you and we're going to see you too on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to link you to this podcast and uh, find much more. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Casey Hendricks in the house. <laughs>